Greetings, mighty men and women of God. Welcome to Lake Church Wednesday night Bible study. Hey, let's uh let's start out by giving our online audience a shout out to Woo! Right on. Thanks for tuning in, being a part of with us. Uh, go ahead, take a moment, get on Facebook, let them know where you're at, and hanging out at Lake Church, getting some word. Amen. Share it with somebody. Somebody come across it might need to hear what we have to say tonight. Amen. Amen. All right. I got a few announcements, and then we're going to let Pastor get into his in-depth study of uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Just kidding, just kidding. It's good. It's been good. It's been good. Uh, TCA enrollment is now in progress. And, uh, man, I want to tell you, you need to be praying about this. That's good to see you to sow into uh, growing these children up with good Christian morals and principles. Amen. Amen. In fact, let's just give a shout out to our TCA uh, teachers and volunteers, administration. Amen. Amen. All right. And another thing, though, I'm excited. Starting tomorrow night is our Overcomers meeting. Starts tomorrow night at seven o'clock up on the hill in the in the youth building. Looking forward to it. Um, Faith based. Addiction support, or I'm going to tell you, we all got something we're trying to get over, amen? So, I mean, it doesn't have to be drugs and alcohol. It can be an array of all kinds of things. Um, I've been blessed to, to oversee it, and, you know, I'm not just looking to lead somebody through it. I'm going through this with them, amen? Because I know there's plenty of things in my life that I can that I can use this. Amen? Amen. Because we're going to overcome. We're going to overcome. Amen. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Amen. Uh, Train Family Cookout tomorrow night. Hosted by our pastors. It will be here at the church at 7 o'clock instead of out at pastor's house, out at the campground. Uh, It will be up here. We want you to, uh, Friday night, I'm sorry, Friday night, Friday night, uh, Friday night at 7 o'clock. I lose days very easily. These um, They ask that you bring some chips and some cookies, dessert of some sort, maybe bring some lawn chairs, toys for your kids. And uh, please RSVP with Pastor Karen. Uh, it's a family night. Just come out, enjoy yourselves, get some fellowship. Oh, you can sign the list out front. Amen. Right on. That wasn't on my deal. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Um, I believe that's all that. So... We're going to get into one of my favorite times, and that's offering time. Woo! Hallelujah. I know 
those things that we overcome, those things that we need to uh, listen for, be attentive to, um, is acting when when God says to act, amen? When the Spirit gives the unction, we need to be quick to be obedient, amen? You know, in Luke chapter 5, when uh, Jesus is on the shores of Gisederet, uh, and uh, he's ministering to the people, though they're there to hear the word of God. And I, I find it quite, quite awesome that, you know, I'm sure there was people there that needed to be healed and needed to be delivered of stuff, but they was hit there to hear the word. Amen. But they were pressing up on him, so he noticed that the boats was up there on the shore and the fishermen were out washing their nets. And uh, he called them over and said, hey, uh, Let's push out a little bit, and they got offshore just a tad, and he started ministering to the people from the boat. Well, Peter was there, and he was kind of a captive audience, so he had to sit there and listen to the word, amen? Well, when Jesus got done, he said, let's push out to the deep water and let out your nets, and we'll draw out there and, and see what you can get, Peter's like, well, you know, kind of tired. I've been working all night. Just got my nets clean. But be it unto your word. If you say, let's do it, let's go, let's do it. So they push out. They let the nets down. And they get so many fish that it's tearing the nets. They got to holler at their partners out there. It's like, hey, come out here and help us out. And they get up there, they fill up both boats, overflown, about to sink the boats. But, and the reason this hits me is because I'm dealing with some stuff like this right now. I need to be quick, quick to hear and quick to act, to be obedient to God's word. Because when you do that, God's got a plan and a purpose. He's got something. Jesus I don't believe Jesus done anything without a purpose. And he was there for that purpose to attract Peter, James, and John. He got him out in the boat. He had to sit there and listen to his word. Peter caught that word. And then when Jesus said, hey, let's go out, I mean, Peter was hesitant. That flesh welled up. He didn't want to do it, but got to be obedient to the word of God so he pushes out and then from that day forward after he got an abundance of fish I was sure that supplied his family for a long time because what was fixing to happen was Jesus took him from fishing for fish to being a fisherman of men amen amen got to be quick got to be quick when the Holy Spirit talks you need to listen amen when you don't want to, when it don't make sense to you, listen and be obedient. So, you know, when you work all week and you've got more month than you do money, but the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, I need you to give $100 to Train Christian Academy or the men's ministry or you say, but Lord, I've already paid tithes. I'm, you know, you say, no, I need you. I need you to give them a hundred dollars. 
you be quick to to obey, the blessing is coming. Amen. He's got a plan and a purpose for everything. He just wants to see your heart and see how obedient you will be. Will you listen? Will you act? Amen? Amen. So, with that being said, we have several ways to give here. We have the envelopes on the seat backs. We have the text to give. And we have on the app. I haven't done that one. My wife has, but I haven't. And, but it's, they tell me it's real easy to do. And you can go to lake-church.com and hit on the giving button there, and you can and you can give that way. Amen. And we take cash in the bucket in the back, back there where Jerry's standing. Amen. 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 Let's pray real quick. Father God, we just thank you and praise you. You are wonderful. We thank you for your great and many blessings in our life, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you uh, strengthen us and encourage us that when you talk to us, we listen and then we act, that we're quick to be obedient to your word, Lord. And we just thank you for the, for the great and many blessings in our life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. amen. Good evening, Lake Church. Let's just stand to our feet and just lift our hands and let's begin to give God praise tonight. Glory to God, we give you praise, we glorify, we magnify you, O God. We exalt you, O God. Thank you for your goodness, thank you for your mercy. Thank you so much, hallelujah. Thank you for invigorating us tonight, giving us your strength and your substance. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to your name, Lord. Glory to your name, Lord. Glory to your name, O God. We worship you. We magnify you. We exalt you, O God. We exalt you, O God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you endunamize us, that you strengthen us. We can do all things because you strengthen us in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Amen. Well, guess where we're going to go tonight? We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to look at verse number 11. We're going to start with verse number 11 tonight. And... uh, So this verse, verse 11, starts off with, In him we have obtained. And one of the very uh, unique aspects of this entire redemptive chapter, the Pauline revelation, the revelation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, its x-ray vision of the cross, it always refers to the past tense. It never refers to something that is going to happen. It refers to something that has already happened. 
So it tells us that God has already made up his mind about you. Amen. You know, there's a lot of people that are wondering what God believes about them and thinks about them. And and he says, I've already thought about you before the foundation of the world and provided a means of salvation for you that you don't have to try to achieve or work for or do anything to try to get it. All you need to do is just simply believe what my son did. Believe that I raised him from the dead, confess him as Lord, and you'll be translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of my son. Amen. And um, so in him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. Our inheritance is Jesus himself, is the Holy Spirit. That is the inheritance. So let's look at Galatians. Just go back a page in your Bible, Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 13. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Amen? He redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, if you have studied the curse of the law, you know that it is poverty, sickness, and spiritual death and all of its manifestations. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. Now he begins to tell you what that blessing is. He says, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So the inheritance that we've received is the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and living in us and through us. Because when you have the Spirit of God, you are connected to life, life and the light of men. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Well, what was in him? The Holy Spirit. Praise God. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus cleaned us up by his blood so that the Holy Spirit could abide and live in us. And operate through us. Amen? Amen. So go back to Ephesians chapter 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now this word predestined means pre-designed. It means that there's a pre-plan. And we know from the scriptures That God has written a book about you before you even came into existence here on planet earth. That he has already written out your days. And he formed your substance and every gifting and everything that he wanted to do and express himself through you. As we saw in the first portions of this passage of scripture, which we haven't got very far, but if you look at Verse 3 and 4, it talks about how that we were a word before the foundation of the world. So each one of us is an expression of God in the earth. 
And we are different, but yet we express the Father in his various different aspects and personality traits. Amen? And so we are a word that was without a body, but when he formed our substance on the inside of us, that word came in on the inside of us. And now our goal is to give forth that word into the earth. Amen? Because it's an expression of Jesus. So predestined does not mean that God decides I'm going to save Joel, but I'm going to cause uh, Jeff not to be saved and go to hell. It's not that God is picking and choosing people to be saved. It's that he has already because, uh, let me give you some instances here. When How many have heard about the Lamb's Book of Life? Anybody heard of the Lamb's Book of Life? Okay, now this shows you that predestination in regards to choosing who will be saved and who will not be saved is false. Because in the Lamb's Book of Life, every person that passes from heaven to earth and inhabits a physical body... Their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. The Bible declares in the book of Revelation that when we turn our back on the Lord, that our name is blotted out of the book of life. So that tells you that God plans for you to come back to him. Amen? So every baby that is born... God plans for them to come back. Will many of them not return? Sad to say, that's the case. But to those that believe and embrace the gospel message, our name will not be blotted out of the book of life. Many times we think, well, God is in control of everything. Well, that is not necessarily true. God is not in control of the earth realm because he handed it over to mankind. Amen? And so we've got to understand that God's not in control of every decision that you ever made. He seeks to influence your decisions through his word and by his spirit, but he's not making decisions for you. You are a free moral agent created in the likeness and image of Almighty God. And in order to truly love and worship Him, you have to have the ability to choose to do so. Amen? Because love, true love, is choice. We choose. And God wants us to to be so enamored with Him that in a plethora of all kinds of gods... We would choose him over every one of them. Amen? And you know what? Agape is the love of choice. It's the love of will. It means I will to love you. I am not doing it based on my emotions. I'm not doing it based on the circumstances. I'm not doing it because it's midnight at the bar and I'm go- I don't want to go home. I'm doing it because I choose to love you. Amen? You know, there's some things our spouses won't ever give us. 
We see other people with spouses that give them this and give them that. And we say, oh, I, you know, we, we think, oh, I wish my husband was like this or I wish my, my wife was like this. But the truth of the matter is this, is that you have to choose to love. Amen? Because guess what? The emotions can go up and down like a roller coaster. But God doesn't base his love on emotion. He bases it at a choice. He is love, therefore he chooses to love you regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what you've done. God loves and cherishes you, and he has a plan for your life. He wrote that plan before the foundation of the world. It was not, it doesn't even have anything to do with you. Amen? You don't earn the plan of God. Somebody needs to hear that. You don't earn the plan of God. It was already written. All we have to do is just simply begin to pursue him and begin to seek his face. And that plan begins to unfold on the inside of us. Amen. Let's look at Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. I love this verse in Colossians chapter 3. It says in verse number 1, If then you have been raised with Christ... He said, seek those things that are above where Christ is. See, that's the key to finding out what God's called you to do, is you've got to watch what you're seeking. See, we're not to seek the plan. We're to seek Christ. Amen? You know, many people will say, well, I'm just seeking answers. Don't seek answers. Seek the answer. If you seek the answer, answers will come. You seek the Lord, answers will always come. You try seeking answers, you're going to be frustrated. Amen? But if you'll take some time to get on your knees and begin to lift your hands and raise your voice to him, you'll be surprised at how much illumination and revelation that you'll get in your situation. Amen? But notice it says, seek the things which are above where Christ is, Seated at the right hand of God. See, that should be your mindset right there. Your mindset should be that you are in position with him, that you are not climbing the mountain. You are king of the mountain because you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And you should seek those things which are above, which are Christ in the heavenly realm. Amen? You can't fixate on the natural world and succeed. You cannot fixate on your circumstances and overcome. You cannot fixate on your emotions and how you feel and get the victory. You can't do it. You've got to change your thinking and bring your thinking in line with the word of God that says that you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. You may not feel like it. You may not feel worthy of it. You may feel like that you're just a lowly, you know, beat up and banged up and whatever you may be. But that doesn't mean anything. Positionally in Christ, if you're born again here today, you are in the elevated position. You are in the place where you are seated at the right hand of God with Jesus. Amen? So you have to elevate your thinking to that. 
Because if you don't elevate your thinking to that, the doctor will take more authority over you. His words will begin to have dominion over you. You know, that banker will tell you, no, we'll never loan that money to you. You're not worthy. You're a high risk. And you'll sit there and you'll just cave in to the circumstances of your life. But if you'll set your mind on things that are above and realize that you are in the highest position and that Jesus has been elevated over every principality, every power, every ruler, every dominion, every throne, and you're seated with him in that high place and what's under his feet is under your feet. Then you're going to be able to look that doctor's report and say, you know what, I believe God. God said, by his stripes I'm healed. God said he'll supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Can I get a witness in this house? Amen. And it's not based on what I do or what I don't do. It's based upon what Jesus did. All I need to do is just embrace what the Lord has done. Amen. Notice what it says. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. You set your mind on things of the earth, you're going to be racked with fear. You're going to be racked with worry, anxiety. Amen? You set your things on the world. You've got to set your things on things above. Okay? For you have died. Amen? People will tell me, well, they gave me a report and they say, I'm going to die. You're already dead. You're already dead. The true way to life is understand that you're dead, that you died when Christ died. The law killed you. Amen? And that now Christ lives in you. The life you live now is not you. It's Christ living in you and through you. Amen? Okay. It says, for you have died and your life is hidden. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now notice verse 4. When Christ, who is your life. Who's your life? If you're born again, Christ is your life. Amen? So that means you don't live anymore. Amen? Amen. Notice your life is hid in Christ. And it says, Christ who is our life appears, then we will also appear with him in glory. Now notice it says our life was hidden with Christ, with Christ in God. With Christ in God. So it shows you the unity that you have with Christ and that your life is deposited in God himself. Okay, so that means every destiny that you God put within you is found with Christ in God and that it's hidden, not hidden from you, but hidden for you. Amen. So it, it's we have to pursue the plan of God. And the more we pursue God, the more our destiny begins to unfold In our lives, the more we begin to see what God has called us to do. Amen? So I want to talk a little bit about predestination in the sense that majority of the time people confuse God predestining someone to salvation and someone to damnation. 
instead of understanding that God has foresight. Okay? So I want us to look at a couple of scriptures that will bear this out. I want us to go to Romans chapter 8 and verse number 29. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 29. How many have ever heard, well, if God wants to do it, he'll just do it? How many have ever heard, well, Jesus can just do anything? Well, that's not what Jesus said. He said, I can only do what I see my father do. And I only speak what I see, what I hear my father say. And he says, I of my own self can do nothing. But such as I see the father do, that I do. See, he was fully submitted to God. Amen. And when he acted, it was because he saw the father do it. Amen. Amen. Come on now, get a hold of this. All right, so when we look at the 29th verse of Romans chapter 8, it says, for those whom he foreknew. So foreknowledge, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And many people uh, conflate God's foreknowledge for predestination. God is omniscient. That means that he's all-knowing. And he can tell you the outcome of any and all circumstances because he's God. Okay? But that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to happen. I'm going to prove it to you from the scripture. I'm going to prove it to you from the scripture. Many people say, well, God has orchestrated that Jack is going to be in heaven in eternity and Rebecca is going to be in the other place. Okay? And people will say that. And they, you know, and, and they won't evangelize. They won't tell the good news because they think it's all up to God. And it's very sad. I've seen churches just totally be destroyed because of that belief. But what they're conflating is, is God's foreknowledge. God sees things. He can tell you about situations ahead of time. In fact, Jesus said that if we, by the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of us, he'll lead and guide us into all truth and show us things to come. Amen? But that doesn't mean that the outcome is going to be what we think it is all the time. Jesus was constant. The anointing on Jesus was constant. The variableness in his ministry was people. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, you know, his own hometown, he says he could there do no mighty work. People get upset with that. It didn't say he wouldn't do it. He said he couldn't do it. And he blamed their unbelief. Amen. There were portions of the population that received him with open arms and he was able to do tremendous things in their midst. But there were also times, especially in his own hometown, where he was stifled because of their unbelief. And he went round about teaching to counteract that unbelief so that he could begin to manifest himself in the ways that he had done in the other towns. Okay. So when we look at this and we look at foreknowledge and predestination to be conformed to the image of his son. See, he's predestined us to be conformed into the image of his son. That's God's plan for you. 
God's plan is not so that you can be a superstar or a social media influencer or a millionaire. God's plan is that you be conformed to the highest level of existence, which is the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That's the only thing I should compare myself with. I can't compare myself with my neighbor. I can't compare myself with my brother. I can't compare myself with my sister. How do I know that I'm advancing? I look to Jesus. Amen. Amen. And although I may fall short of being like Jesus, he has given me the composition within myself by the Holy Spirit to be conformed into his image. He has foreseen me in the image of Jesus. He has predestined me to be in the image of Jesus. And he goes on and he says this. And he says, uh, in order that you might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined, He also called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those that he justified, he's glorified. So as far as God is concerned, you, he has foreseen that you are predestined, you are called, you are justified, and you are glorified. Amen? In his completed work. God sees you on the finish line now. God sees you with the report, good report now. Amen. I remember I was going for some tests and I remember uh, Randy Clay, he said, I'm praying for a good report. I said, I already got a good report. I've got the good report. And the good report will make sure that I will get a good report. The report of the Lord will cause the other reports to line up with that. Amen? Now I'm going to show you a story that proves my point. That God can foresee some things, but the actions of men can change the outcome. How about Jonah? How about Jonah? Okay. God said, I'm going to rise up in judgment against Nineveh. Go and preach against the city. Well, what did they do? They repented. What happened? Judgment was stayed and Jonah was mad about it. (laughs) Amen? See, now this doesn't diminish God in any way. It doesn't make him seem smaller. See, there are some people that only believe that God is big if he's in control of everything. But I believe the Bible teaches that God is big because he isn't. Mm, Okay. All right. Amen. So let's look at a, a passage of scripture that proves my point. Because, you know, we have to use the scripture to bring a bring balance. And we're going to go to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, I believe it's the 22nd. Uh, let's see here. Let's find this verse. 23rd chapter of 1 Samuel. Okay? 23rd chapter of 1 Samuel. We're going to, I'm going to show you that although God has foreknowledge about certain situations, they're not set 
in predestination as we would think. That human behavior and human decisions can alter what he has foreseen. Amen. Amen? Okay. Are you ready for this? Okay. Verse number six. It says, when Abiathar, the son of Hamilech, had fled to David to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul, now Saul is pursuing David, he's hired mercenaries to kill David, and he has got on horses with men and went out to find David and to kill him, okay? Because Saul believed that David was a threat to him, okay? And Saul, that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, For he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people uh, to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. David knew then Saul was plotting harm against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. So he's inquiring of the Lord, the ephod was a means in which of communication with God that the high priest would use. And David was a type of the New Testament believer who operated in the prophetic and in the kingly and priestly offices. So he was able to inquire of the Lord with the ephod. We don't use an ephod. We have the Spirit of God on the inside of us. Amen? So as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. Amen? He said, bring the ephod here. And then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. That's what the Lord said. He will come down. Then David said, will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hands of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Then David and his men. See, this is the foresight of God. This is the foreknowledge of God. Okay. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition and David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph and Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him over into his hand. Notice God said, yes, Saul's going to come. Yes, the men of Keilah are going to hand you over to Saul. But it didn't happen. Hello. Hello. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Just because we have foreknowledge, just because God may have foreknowledge of a situation, doesn't mean it's necessarily set in stone. Now, his promises are. And in fact, many interactions with the patriarch, the patriarchs, were statements that God would make, but it was his promises that he sought to fulfill. 
Do you see what I'm saying? God would make statements about certain things. But then he made, in fact, Abram actually made God promise to him. They were having an exchange, and he said, promise me. Make me a promise. Because he knew if God made a promise, amen, it was going to happen. Amen? So do we understand that God is not out there saying, you know what, I, I, I created Joe for destruction and I created Jeff for exaltation. No, he's created all of us. All of us and has a plan for all of us. Amen? And uh, praise the Lord. And it, that means it doesn't matter what you're going through. God still has a plan for your life. Amen? Hello. God still has a plan for your life. He cares for you. All right? So notice this. Predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you ought to underline every time you see in him, in whom. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Praise God. When you received Christ, the Holy Spirit came in you and sealed you. Sealed you. Vacuum-packed, sealed you. The work of God stays fresh. Because you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now notice this. He says the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Some translations say he is the engagement ring or the wedding ring of our redemption. So just as a bride receives a ring from her groom that signifies that they are in covenant together and shows the world that she is a woman in covenant with a man, the Holy Spirit sealing in your life tells the devil and demons and angels, I am a man, I am a woman in covenant with God, thereby the curse does not have any place in my life, therefore I am exempt from this present evil age. Amen? Because it's the Holy Spirit that differentiates between a child of God and a child of the devil. Amen? You are married to the Lord. You are His bride. Do you think the Lord... Listen, guys. Do you like someone messing with your wife? Now, some of you are sitting there saying, Well, I wish they would, you know. But you don't. You, <laughs> but you don't. I didn't mean to bring up the marital issues in your life. But when when the brides mess with, when someone's messing with my wife, you know, I'm ready to jump into action. Come on. I mean, ready. I'm ready to say, you know what? This has got to stop. It's got to stop right now. Well, if we that are human and evil and natural 
have that desire to take care of our spouse, how much more will the Lord Jesus take care of you? Listen, God does not get any pleasure with the devil messing around in your life. He does not get any pleasure from that. He despises it, and he wants to do something about it. We've just got to allow him to stop taking matters in our own hands and begin to yield to him and begin to let our husband, and I'm talking to men too because we're all a bride, amen? We're all the bride of Christ. We allow our husband, our covenant partner, to come in and do his work. But so many of us hang on to our problems and begin to try to fix our problems our own way, and we don't allow him in our lives to take care of our problems. There are even marriages that won't allow the other spouse to help the other spouse, just won't let them. Well, that's just not covenant relationship. But I'm here to tell you that Holy Spirit has sealed you. That means that the work of Christ that's in you is settled. It cannot be moved. Amen. 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 That also means that the enemy cannot touch your spirit. Now he'll mess around with your soul and he'll try to afflict your body, but he can't touch your spirit. A Christian cannot be possessed by another spirit because he's already possessed. He is possessed by the Holy Spirit. We are Holy Spirit possessed men and women. Amen. And there's a sealing, there's a protective uh, seal in our lives that causes the penetration of the world and the flesh and the devil to not be able to come in and to contaminate us. And this is the reason many times in the book of 1 John, it says that, uh, that we uh, can live free of sin. Okay? Let's look over there. Let's look at these scriptures here. 1 John. 1 John. Let's see here. Uh, chapter 3, verse number 9. It says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. That's really not what the Greek says. It says, no one that is born of God sins. That's what it says in the Greek. Now listen, don't get worked up here. Don't get upset. What's he talking about? He's talking about inside. He's talking about in your spirit. There's absolutely no way. Sin does not emanate from your spirit anymore. When you had the sin nature, it came from your spirit. But you don't have the sin nature anymore. You've got flesh and the residue of the sin nature in the mind that has to be renewed out. But praise God, you are alive unto God. You've got the life and nature of God on the inside of you. And you don't need to habitually practice sin anymore. In fact, the ability... To overcome sin is in you now. You don't have to be subject to your bondages, to your addictions, to anything. The life of God's on the inside of you. If we yield to sin, it is because of our carnal mind and our flesh acting out its desires and appetites. But no more are we connected to the sin nature. That is what died at the cross. And when Jesus was raised to newness of life, you were raised to newness of life. 
Now, that doesn't mean you, you might be struggling with something tonight. You might need to come to Overcomers tomorrow night because you're struggling in an area. But I'm here to tell you, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Your spirit is alive unto God. And what you're dealing with is working out that salvation with fear and trembling so that you can begin to conquer the strongholds of the mind and bring the flesh into subjection to the Spirit of God. Amen? And you can live free. I said you can live free. You don't have to live in bondage to pornography. You don't have to live in bondage to drugs. You don't have to live in bondage to all kinds of sexual immorality and things that cause you to feel ashamed and guilty and condemned. You can be free because greater is he who is in you than he that's in the world. Amen? It says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Amen? Amen. Praise God. You don't have to to be a slave to sin. You have been made the Lord's freed man. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's go back to Ephesians. Are we doing all right? Okay. We might get to chapter 2 tonight. I don't know. Let's see here. Okay. So praise the Lord. You've got the signet ring and the seal of God on you. And praise God when the enemy sees that seal. When he sees that seal, Jesus told him it's hands off. It's hands off. But see, we have to enforce that. It's just like a woman with a wedding ring that's getting advanced by a coworker. Okay? Now, she can entertain that, fantasize about that, be flattered by that. And many believers succumb to the same deception that the devil brings. Oh, they don't value you. He, you know, you're not getting the attention that you need. They don't... Uh, uh, you know, they're not grateful for you and, you know, tell you all that stuff. And that's generally what a, a suitor does at the workplace. Well, your husband doesn't appreciate you like I'd appreciate you, you know, tell you that stuff. Or if I had a wife like you, man, I'd be the luckiest man on planet Earth. Your husband doesn't know what he has. Well, many times the devil will do that to our lives as well. And basically what he tries to do is he tries to get us over into spiritual adultery by meditating on things that are contrary to the word of God and undermining our relationship with our spouse, the Lord Jesus Christ, who we've been a spouse to as a pure virgin, amen, to the Lord. He wants to seduce us and deceive us and use specious wisdom to convince us that the relationship isn't what it's supposed to be. That's what he did at the Garden of Eden when he was at the tree. He said, has God said, no, you know, you're not going to die. He knows that if you eat that, that you're going to be just like him. See, he uses the seductive words of flattery and begins to deceive us in our thinking. Amen? And just like in a physical relationship, If we're not established in our relationship with our spouse, 
And the enemy comes in and begins to flatter us and begins to try to seduce us in that way. We can begin to begin to meditate on wrong thoughts that will lead us into wrong behavior and wrong thinking that will affect our married life in a way that the relationship is hindered. Amen? And that's what he desires to do, okay? So we've got to understand that we are a spouse to Christ and that when Jesus has basically said, hands off, and that's really what, what a ring says. It, you know, when, I'm, when I see Kevin and Rhonda there, well, I look over here and I see a ring on there. What does that say to me? Because I'm more, you know, I've got some morals about me. That says she's off limits. Come on now. She's off limits. I'm not going to flirt with her. I'm not going to ask for her phone number. I'm not going to send her seedy emails. I'm not going to. Come on now. It's off. But if there's a schism between their relationship, somebody needs to hear this. If there's a schism between the relationship, then the enemy can weave in there and begin to work and begin to undermine that relationship. And that's what he does. When he begins to give you information that is contrary to the word of God about your great spouse, Jesus Christ. And generally, it's when we go through trauma or we go through hardship. God doesn't care about you. He, if he, he cared about you, you know, this be all over. You, in fact, you wouldn't even be going through this if he loved you. See? He wiggles in there. But if you're not convinced, if you're not a spouse to Jesus Christ in purity, then you're going to be fooled and deceived and you're going to think contrary and it's going to cause... Listen, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. There's one thing about it. People may leave your life. Mama may have left. Daddy may have left. There may have been people that have left your life, but God will never leave you. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But... We can grieve the Spirit of God. We can turn our back on the Lord. We can numb ourselves to His presence and to His voice if we continue to entertain seducing spirits. Amen? Amen. Tell us, no, God doesn't care about you. You know, you wouldn't be going through this if if, uh, God really loved you and, you know, if, if God really cared, you wouldn't even be thinking about it. You wouldn't be even doing that. And we begin to veer off and begin to entertain the voice of the wicked one. And the more we listen, the more we become like that, the more we're seduced into thinking that. But I'm here to tell you, there's no one more faithful than Jesus. Amen? And we should strive to be as faithful. Amen? Praise the Lord. It says, He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Now, what's he talking about there? Is he talking about that you don't have all of the inheritance? Well, what he's saying is, is that positionally you have all that Christ has given. But we understand this, that when you got born again... Your face did not change. Your nose was still the same length. If you had warts and moles, you still had them. Okay? The body did not change. Guess what? You had some of the same thinking as well, didn't you? Now, there was a freshness and a different source of life in your thinking 
you know, in the way you thought. But still yet, you still had carnal thoughts. You still were tempted to think on things. You were attracted to certain appetites that you were normally attracted to. But the fact of the matter is, is that what changed was your spirit. You were born of God. So we could say this in the salvation of your life. You are saved. You are being saved. And you shall be saved. Because your flesh is the last uh, dimension that will be totally redeemed at the first resurrection or the rapture of the church. You will receive a glorified body. But right now, you're walking in cursed dirt. You are a spirit walking in cursed dirt. You're a treasure in earthen vessels. So what's on the inside of you is far more superior than what you look like on the outside. Smith Wigglesworth said, I'm 10,000 times bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. Amen? Praise the Lord. So the Holy Spirit is the, is the uh, guarantee of our inheritance. He is the, basically the seal that we have been purchased by God, that God is our Father, and that Jesus is our Lord. Amen? And then he goes on and says in verse number 15, he says, For this reason, see he just outlined this wonderful, wonderful sentence from verse 3 to verse 14 is one continuous sentence. There is absolutely no commas, no periods. There is absolutely no semicolons, no colons, It is one sentence. And why is that? Because God wants you to know that his desire for you is one continuous thought. Amen. Amen. It is one continuous thought. He said, you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You've been redeemed by his blood. He is just... I'm so excited. Have you ever mentioned, seen someone that was so excited that they didn't pause in their sentences and it just ran together? Well, this is exactly what it looks like in the Greek. God is so excited to reveal this truth to you that this is what I have done for you. He is just, I mean, he doesn't even take a breath. I've redeemed you. I've predestined you. I've brought you in. You've been adopted. Amen. I'll tell you what, that's some good stuff. Amen. And so he says, for this reason. What reason? All these verses. These 11 verses right here. All this. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now notice this. He begins to pray a prayer that solidifies the revelation of the last 11 verses. And in fact, that shows us that these 11 verses that we just went through over these last six weeks 
Okay? Aren't going to be easily digested by just hearing them one time, two times, three times. They have to be gone over and they have to be prayed about. Are you with me? And so he gives us the way that we can assimilate this into our hearts and into our lives by giving us a prayer to pray over ourselves. Amen? The prayers that the Apostle Paul prays in the epistles need to be personalized in your life. You need to put yourself in the first person in regards to these prayers. Now, he is praying for the church, so he's praying for you. He is praying a prayer for you. Well, I put my name in this prayer. I make this my 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 prayer every time I think about it. I will pray this prayer over my life. Why? Because it's imperative that you begin to pray and allow the plan and process of God to be brought through prayer. Amen? Amen. Because this will solidify what he has done in these previous verses that we have went over. These are the most important verses in the entire New Testament because they outline all of the x-ray work of the cross. Amen. Amen. Amen? It is the most condensed form. The book of Romans in 16 chapters says what Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 3 through 14 say in one sentence. That's how condensed that sentence is. It is juiced up 100%. It is the, you know, what... I remember when we uh, guys used to race cars and they would go to the oil wells and they would get drip. How many know what that is? Drip. That is the purest, most concentrated fuel you can get. It'll burn your engine up. It is absolutely so pure. But they would get it so they could boost their horsepower when they were racing cars. Of course, they'd burn their engines up doing it. But I'm here to tell you, if you don't couple... The third verse through the 14th verse with prayer, you're going to burn your engine up because it is absolutely concentrated life. Amen? 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 So notice this prayer. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you. Now, you need to make this yourself. That you may give me, praise God, amen, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Notice that. He's asking that you would have the spirit of wisdom. Now, he's not asking for another spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of wisdom. He's saying that you will have the receptivity and the ability to receive that wisdom by receiving an endowment of the Spirit to be able to know, understand, and perceive what has previously been released to you. Amen? 
So you've got to receive uh, a spirit of wisdom. You've got to receive, hey, I'm opening myself up to receive this message. I, I, need, I need spiritual endowment to be able to assimilate this into my life. Amen? And then he goes on and he says, <clears throat> in the revelation, in the knowledge of him, not in physics, not in history, not even, you know, in a Bible history. In the knowledge of him. Who? Jesus. He wants you to have the spirit of revelation and knowledge in the knowledge of him. Praise God. I'm not praying for knowledge. Some people say, Lord, I, give me knowledge. No, the knowledge that matters is the knowledge of him. Amen? Human knowledge will not suffice. Human knowledge changes every day. Human not Listen, if you get an old set of encyclopedias, you buy some at a garage sale, they are outdated. You will laugh and laugh and laugh at the information that was written about the world in 1975. Hello. Because human knowledge always changes. But the true knowledge, the knowledge that you and I are called to live in and to live through is the knowledge of Him. Amen? Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. That means that we need to pray that the eyes of our spirit will be open and will be able to see clearly what God has done in Christ Jesus. That's what he's praying that you would understand. He's praying not so that you will get something. He's praying that you will see something. Okay? Well, I pray, I got to get, you know, I got to pray, I got to get this, you know, I got to get this. No, he wants you to see what you've already got. That's all he's saying. See what you've already got. Amen? You've already got it. You got to get eyes to see it. Because your natural eyes think that you don't have nothing. Your natural eyes will look at your situation and take inventory of your life. And you may think, I don't have anything. No, he says, I want you to pray. I want you to pray that your eyes will be enlightened, fully flooded with light and revelation as to what Jesus has done for you. Amen. He says that you may know. What is the hope to which he has called you? The King James says the hope of his calling. Okay? Notice it's his calling. That means you're not responsible for it. In the sense that you have to make it come to pass. It's his calling. Are you a steward of it? Yes. But it's his call. Amen? What is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Which I say it this way. Father, I pray that I may know what is the hope of your calling and what is the riches of your inheritance in me. 
Because we just read, we have received an inheritance. Well, it takes the illumination of the Spirit in these prayers to unlock the ability to see what's in the inheritance. Amen? Are you with me? Okay. Then he goes on and he says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? Amen? Divine life. Power. Power that created the universe. No, that's not what he says. He says this immeasurable power is not the power that created the universe. It says the greatest example of his power is when he raised Jesus from the dead. So that tells me this, that the measure of the power of God that's within the believer is far greater than in the creation of the universe and the sun. It is at a whole nother level because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest exhibition of the power of God ever displayed. And that is the power that you have on the inside of you. Amen? He says that. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things. How many things? All things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You got five more minutes? Okay, you better have five more minutes. Notice what he says. He says that you, the church, is the fullness of him. I, I don't, we just need to think about that. Need to think about that. The church is the fullness of him that fills all in all. What did John say in the first chapter? He said, And of his fullness, we have received. Pleroma in the Greek. And it means the full sum and substance of God himself. The totality. In Colossians, it says that it pleased the Lord that all the fullness of the Godhead should be in him bodily. He goes on and says in the second chapter of Colossians, he says, and we are complete. Actually, the the Greek says, and we are filled in him. Jesus received the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
Jesus fills us and we are the fullness of him and he fills all in all. So we have nothing outside of ourselves that will complete us, make us whole, heal us, restore us, deliver us. We have received the full sum and substance of the Son of God on the inside of our spirit, which has been sealed by God. Hallelujah. That's some good stuff. Let's stand and lift our hand and give God praise. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Boy, I tell you what, you get a hold of that. It'll change your life. It'll change your life. It'll change your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The healer lives on the inside of you. The deliverer lives on the inside of you. The bondage breaker is on the inside of you. Hallelujah. Oh, I don't need to look outside. I don't need to try to climb. I've already received the full sum and substance of the pleroma of God in my life. He has lavishly given me His grace and His mercy by His Spirit. Hallelujah. Now let me ask you this. Based upon what we just read, should a believer ever be a victim? Did we read even one scripture that gave the excuse that we could be victimized and operate as a victim? That doesn't mean we're not going to face times in which we can be victimized. It doesn't mean that we won't be hurt or abused or used. It just means this. That we have something far superior on the inside of us. That is bigger than the storms outside of us. That is bigger than the offense outside of us. That is bigger than the egregious acts of others. That means if I am fully embracing the revelation that I just received from this. That means people's opinions and thoughts and words can never diminish me. They, I don't have to go down to their level. I don't have to sink to their level. I don't have to be victimized by their actions or their words. Oh, you might have been raped. You might have been beat. You might have been harassed. You might have been tormented. But I'm here to tell you, my friends, there is something greater on the inside of you than what happened in your body and what happened in your mind. 
the greater one has enthroned himself on the inside of you and the full access of his plan and purpose, of his provision and of his power is on the inside of you. And it will cause you to overcome when others will say, you should just lay down and die. Hello. Glory to God. You don't need to be a victim. Well, you don't know what they did. Listen, I know what Jesus did. And I know that Jesus lives on the inside of you. And I know that there's no offense, that there's no bitterness that is greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no action, evil action, that would ever be able to overcome you. What you have can't be killed. What you have can't be murdered. What you have can't be stolen. What you have can't be abused. They don't make a bullet. To kill what's on the inside of you. They don't make a bomb. That could destroy what's on the inside of you. You have the power. That created the sun. That created the universe. And that raised Jesus from the dead. On the inside of you. The same spirit. That raised Jesus from the dead. Dwells on the inside of you. And he did not say that just so it could be a sweet sentiment. He said that to equip you for this life. He gave that to you for a reason. So that you would not bow the knee to the circumstances that are in your life. That you would no longer acquiesce to the accusations of the enemy. So that you would not tolerate what Christ bore and what he paid for in your life. Sickness cannot rule and dominate me. I will not allow it. Because greater is he that is in me than any sickness that's in the world. I will not allow pornography. I will not allow sexual immorality. I will not allow addiction to substances to dominate my life. Because I am not a victim. I take those things because I feel like I'm a victim. And I'm trying to cope with my victimization. But I'm here to tell you. You've been raised to the highest level of creation. You are positionally seated with Christ. Thereby you cannot be a victim. You are not in the place of victimization. The enemy has to convince you that you are sorry, no good, and that you have no future. And many people are like Esau that trade their birthright for a carnal bowl of soup. And then whine and complain that they've been victimized. Our whole society is filled with it. And our churches are filled with it. But there's nothing that we read tonight 
or we read the last six weeks that ever gives you the excuse to be a victim. Amen. I am not a victim. In fact, the spirit of this age is victimization. I've been victimized, therefore I have the right to do this and to do that. That's not what the scripture says. Well, I've been treated unjustly. Well, wasn't Jesus treated unjustly? Well, I've been falsely accused. Was Jesus falsely accused? Well, I was beaten for no reason. Jesus had no sin. He was not a transgressor. But yet, he took our place. Let's just say this right here. Jesus is the only innocent human being that ever walked the face of the earth. So stop looking at yourself like you're innocent and sweet. Fess up to who you are. Be truthful. Tell the truth and shame the devil. I don't deserve mercy, but he gave it to me. I don't deserve grace, but he gave it to me. I was an enemy of God, but yet he died for me, even while I was an enemy. And I'm telling you, you're going to just soar out of that victimization mindset, and you're going to get into the heart of gratitude. See, victimized people are grateful for nothing. Elevate yourself. Set your sights on the things above. Amen? I tell you, the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to people right now. I know they're all online. No one here has ever, I know they're all online. But I'm here to tell you, friends, you can be free. If you'll allow the Word of God and the prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed to open your eyes to what he's done in your life. Amen? Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we look forward to seeing you Friday night. If you want to bring something, you need to go sign the list. Let us know you're coming. And we're going to have good stuff for you. We're going to have a good time of fellowship, um, you know, at the picnic on Friday night. So we'd love to see you. Be at the youth center. Remember, it's going to be here and not at our house because of the weather. Amen? Amen. Praise God. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.